Grant Robertson has broken a major pre-election promise by announcing an extension to the Bright Line test, meaning someone who sells an investment property within 10 years will have to pay tax on their capital gains. He's also removing the right of landlords to deduct interest costs as an expense for tax purposes. It's easy to see how the bigger tax burden will hurt investors, but will it help first home buyers and will it help get more homes built? I'm Louis Holbrook, Campaigns Manager at the Taxpayers' Union, and today on Taxpayer Talk, I sit down with Catherine Marshall, General Manager at Williams Corporation. Williams Corporation is a residential property developer that is highly active in Christchurch, Auckland, and Wellington. So tell me, Catherine, just how many homes are you guys building? Um, on my table at the moment, I've got over 950 houses, um, either under construction, um, in design and consent, or being set up, ready to go, ready to start. Well, that's already better than Kiwi Build, isn't it? Uh, yes, we actually do the business and create the houses in quite a short time frame as well. Okay, and these are homes in Auckland, Christchurch and Wellington? Yes, they're homes in Auckland, Christchurch and Wellington and they are pre-sold. So are these mainly townhouses or apartments? Um, they're townhouses, so you own the section underneath and generally they're two or three storey um, townhouses. The, we go for a, um, a prime location. So we, um, for the area, we're always affordable to buy, affordable to live in, affordable to maintain, good locations, and knock on the door in 30 years' time and the people would buy from us again. And the types of homes you build, do you find that they disproportionately attract uh, like first home, uh, first home buyers? Um, we get um, quite a number of first home buyers, but also homeowners, and also we get some investors. So we get quite a mix. Okay, so you, you, you're probably in a place where you can see the effects of tax changes across the housing market, whether that's on first-home buyers or investors. Definitely. Yeah. So if you're on the front lines of the housing crisis and you're actually increasing housing supply, then Econ 101 tells us that if uh, Williams Corporation and companies like you uh, build enough, that will ultimately bring down prices across the housing market. So with regards to Grant Robertson's new tax changes, will they help you in any way to get more homes built? Um, I don't think they're going to have too much effect on us. There are some benefits in that the interest deductibility and the focus is on new homes. However, there's also people scared to go ahead with developments and scared what they'll do next because the whole idea of radical policies done in five minutes um, against the advice of Treasury and so on sort of scares people for what the heck are these people going to do next. So that's interesting. So you're saying that there could be some positive effects in terms of shifting investment towards new builds, but you're concerned that that will be, be outweighed by the uncertainty that these changes create? Sure, there's actually both. We're seeing um, a mix of people reacting both ways. I mean, you know, we'll we'll play the information through to the buyers and point out, you know, that they can take an investment and claim it. But there's definitely a hesitancy in the marketplace. I think there's better ways to um, assist the supply of affordable houses than this policy. I think this is really poor policy. Yes. Well, tax changes are notorious for their unintended consequences, especially when they increase complexity. So Grant Robertson's changes are being implemented in a matter of days without parliamentary scrutiny, no select committee process. This rushed process, uh, has it resulted in confusion for your company and companies like yours? And what kind of details are remaining unclear? Oh, there's quite a few details that are unclear, that's for sure. Like even the definition of a new build house, 
And there's some really silly things like what, say, one or two or three years ago, somebody purchased a brand new house and are renting that right now. I mean, does that then um, become an old house or does it still meet the criteria of a new house? Mm. It's quite absurd. We just don't know what the definitions are. So it's just a goodness only knows what they'll do when they spit it out, given that it's not subject to the accepted um, scrutiny. Yeah. Our, one of our main concerns with capital gains taxes of any kind um, that may apply to this interest deductibility as well is uh, inevitably there are loopholes, whether that's in terms of the family home or new builds. And the definition um, of those loopholes uh, is often not easily definable, which actually incentivizes people to uh, employ, I don't know, tax lawyers, accountants to find their way through. Uh, personally, I think that really good policy um, um, basically doesn't switch the public off against the tax base of New Zealand. So I would rather, much rather see more robust policy towards enabling and facilitating the supply of affordable housing and just housing in general. Yeah. Um, if you switch the tax base off, that's absolutely what happens. People look for what else can they do, what other options are open to them. It's just really poor policy. Mm. So if we step back and look at the wider housing issue and your practical experience, what are actually the real barriers that you face in your attempts to get homes built? Oh, yeah, they're really clear. And I email Jacinda all the time and she will not reply on anything and she will not action anything. She has received so many emails from me with hardly any words. And it's things like, um, for instance, Christchurch and Wellington Council process code compliance documents as a house is being built. So when the floor is poured, um, we can put the documents in for processing. When the roof's going on, we can put the pre-roof in for processing. When the cladding's going on, we can put that in. But for some reason, Auckland say they won't look at any documents until the entire house is finished. So then it takes one to one and a half months where the completed development sits empty at um, an interest cost, an average in interest cost of $1,000 a day on a medium-sized development, but there's no need for that loss. Wow. We've emailed Jacinda and we've asked the council, please just align this process with efficient processes right now. Um, they won't. They say, we will not make changes just to suit your company. And yet they're not in sync with the, um, the best practices through, um, through local government New Zealand already. It's absurd. <laughs> So does that mean you think that processes could be improved even simply by lifting certain councils up to the standards of others, regardless of whether we lift best practice? Most definitely. I mean, we can see when we work through Wellington, Christchurch and Auckland, who's performing better and who isn't and why. And I've been providing that information, not just through to Jacinda and the government, but also through to MIMBY and HUD and the councils concerned. And no one with Auckland, Wellington and Christchurch passed the pointers on board. Although I will say that Christchurch is the best performer because of the earthquake rules. Mm -hmm. um, but it's even things like we, um, we set up checklists for what's required for the um, title process. And um, Christchurch is the most efficient because of the earthquake rules and they have the minimum number of steps required. Whereas Wellington and Auckland have another, you know, like, eight to 14 further steps. 
to obtain title for a new development when it's exactly the same plans and documents in every city. There's no need for it. Mm. Well, that's quite extraordinary, really, because now we're based on what you've just said, we, we actually have low-hanging fruit here. Uh, it's not a matter of inventing new solutions. Some of the answers are already in front of us, at least in some parts of the country. Yes, and they're easily visible. I mean, we could provide the information from our office on any of these topics with detailed backups of, yes, here's, here's the big picture with hardly any words, and here's the specifics of what's working and what's not, and here's the example of the waste of time and money. We've also got a massive um, hold-ups um, needlessly for um, consenting processes. We can actually build and title a development faster then council can provide us with the consent and sign-off. I guess in your experience, you'll have run into all sorts of uh, anecdotes or, or horror stories, should we say. Is there a particular development that just sticks in your mind as a, an egregious example of these delays and costs? Um, it's more like just some of the planning and zoning rules that just don't make sense. So sometimes there are two-stage process where you have to do the development separate from the construction and there's a big hold-up in between. That sort of planning rule is just silly. Christchurch yep. has them in place at the moment, some sort of transitional zone, although Christchurch is the best of the three, don't get me wrong. Um, there's other really silly things like when we put um, in a resource consent, for instance, with Auckland, where they put it out to an external consultant, the external consultant was processing the resource consent in three months with their internal um, employees were taking six to seven months for the same resource consent. With these uh, consenting issues, uh, it's it's clear that you see an opportunity for the government to step in, even though that these are council responsibilities. Do you think that something in line with what they've done in Christchurch could be replicated with other aspects of the consenting process? Oh, absolutely, definitely. You know, they say there's a climate crisis, so let's um, put in these sudden rules for what they might do. But there's a housing crisis. I mean, they should absolutely um, be talking with the main suppliers of affordable houses and say, hey, what are the steps that you require? Because our steps, um, I mean, there's one building act for all of New Zealand and our steps are in line absolutely with the building code and in line with um, what's the best practices in Auckland, Wellington and Christchurch already. We're just saying this stuff here is efficient these people are efficient, these processes here are inefficient and shouldn't be inefficient because in other places they're working properly. This raises the, the obvious question, why do you think that the government has failed to address these basic supply-side consenting issues? Is it a matter of them not having their head around the complexity of it or is there something in the politics of it that makes this kind of solution unappealing to them? Yeah, I think it's both. I find Jacinda lazy because she'll talk a lot um, she's a PR person, but somehow she doesn't do something. She somehow doesn't understand or won't do the work. Where someone like Nicola Willis will absolutely understand what the issues are and um, and then say, hey, we need to do this or that. So there's definitely a personality type as a leader that's not really working, um, you know, with no focus on the end outcome for the people on a daily basis. Um, but there's also some sort of political understanding that goes back since 2002. There's an understanding where the council won't step in on government. Because I saw housing... Well, the government won't step in on councils. Oh, sorry, yes, sorry. Yeah. Way around. I've seen housing um, working quite okay up to end developments until about 2002, 
And then um, basically the engineers lost the say over the developments and the planners took over. And pretty much to get a development through, it, there would be pages and pages of conditions. And I started saying to the government back 2003, 2004, 2005, I think it was Labour in those days, just, hey, you can't keep doing this. You're going to stop the supply of housing for New Zealand. But no one would listen, despite how vocal I was. I couldn't get anyone to act. To be fair, though, we did have nine years of a national-led government. Uh, were they making progress in this area? No. Look, it, it goes back to 2002, and it wasn't set up properly. Yep. So, um, like I say, since 2002, I haven't seen the changes um, focused on the outcomes, and that's what the issue is. So, and that's you know that's through both governments. So I'm not laying it just with one person, but as it continues to go on, it's more and more important that who's ever in power that they act. You know, because the prices are skyrocketing. Yep. They um, national did um, have the idea of the special housing area, but the problem was it had to go back over the minister's desk at the time to be approved one on one. And planning rules don't work like that very well for New Zealand. What you need is certainty of a planning rule. They would have been better to have used the special housing areas and just put them in bulk over entire regions. Well, in, in a time of a housing crisis, you'd expect to start seeing responses of that scale. Well, absolutely. Like the only place in New, the only large city in New Zealand where supply matches demand is Christchurch. And Megan Woods came in and despite telling me that she would not remove the earthquake rules from Christchurch because supply matched demand, when the moth shootings happened, she came in and removed the rules. Now, if I can play devil's advocate, this is a bit of a strange question. Sure. Why, why are you actually um, interested in bringing prices down? Or do you, do, you, do you actually worry that if you are too successful in your drive to get homes built, that prices will drop to the point that um, maybe your model isn't sustainable as a business? Oh, look, we don't, we don't worry about um, um, that sort of point of view. Like what we're trying to do is have it so that people in New Zealand can afford to buy their own home. And so the first thing we're focused on is what needs to be done so the prices don't keep skyrocketing upwards. Upwards, We need to stop that huge increase. And the only way we're going to stop that genuinely and truly is by supply. Aside from council consenting processes, uh, do you have issues in terms of your utilities or your traffic management, um, some of those details that can hold up your developments? The utilities are a massive hold-up and problem in the system, um, more so in Auckland and Wellington. The costs are huge. They're often unknown. The delays in the sign-offs and the extra processes they add into the title process are significant. And it's really a, needs to be a focus of government and local council to um, make that far more efficient and far less costly. Um, also, traffic management plan, there's again massive holdups, massive delays for really simple stuff. You know, they need to have businesses that um, have the traffic management certification and then can just simply provide the generic plans and sign them off themselves. For clarity, is this traffic management uh, as a result of the de development um, questions around how those communities will handle that lift in uh, road traffic? No, it's just the traffic at the point of construction. Literally during construction, yeah, road yeah, cones. Really, yeah, there's really big hold-ups, and it's just about managing the road or the footpath through the um, time of the construction of the house. 
you'd think in places like Auckland and Christchurch, where the cities are littered with construction sites, that they would have established uh, effective processes around that by now. Yeah, the, the, the worst problems we've had are Auckland. There's just so many problems there. Um, we're trying to work with them, but um, there's limited people at the table at the moment um, wanting to assist on anything. Um, and it's a battle every week for us to try and get um, certainly Auckland first and, and behind that Wellington more efficient. Christchurch are much more engaging and at the table when the issues pop up. So, you know, they're doing their best. And actually Hawke's Bay um, has been a council that's come and asked our company for how to be proactive. So they're the opposite end of the spectrum again. Very interesting. So finally, I thought I'd ask you about something that's unrelated to Grant Robertson's tax changes and unrelated to these council consenting issues we've discussed. It's about news from the last week, uh, reports of a seriously alarming nationwide timber shortage. Tell me, Catherine, how could this possibly happen in New Zealand? And is it already affecting your developments? Um, We've got enough links and people around us that um, we'll have a path through it. So I think we'll be okay. But I've had people um, that live near the port send me photos of massive piles of logs going out over the port. I mean, if if Jacinda and the government want to act, they should be acting on the supply issues, not just turning around and saying, we're going to tax tax you and threaten you unfairly. (laughs) Thank you for your your time, Catherine. I think that's a perfect place to end that. And thank you to our listeners for tuning in to Taxpayer Talk. 